This is Dr. Shannon M. Clark with A Doctor Delivers Podcast. And today I am joined by founder of 4Cura4 Moms, Mr. Charles Johnson, to discuss the maternal mortality crisis in this country and the recent comments made by Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. Have a listen. Okay. Charles Johnson has founded at 4Cura4 Moms, and I actually just reposted the video you made about uh, these you. statements. Mm-hmm. Uh, you. you founded it in 2017 after losing your wife, Kira Dixon Johnson, uh, during a routine cesarean delivery at Cedar sinai Hospital in Los Angeles. Uh, you are a voice for families uh, facing unnecessary maternal loss and ending the maternal mortality crisis in this country, which we know is a huge issue. But more recently, and I do want to point this out, you worked with Congress to pass the Preventing Maternal Death Act, which is the first ever to combat the maternal mortality crisis in the U.S. And this bill was signed into law December 21st, 2018, and dedicated to the memory of Kara Dixon Johnson. So thank you for your work. And I know that's not the end of it. You've got a lot of things brewing. And uh, if you are interested and you don't know Charles and his work, please go to at 4 cura for moms to see what he's up to. But why are we here today? So Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana is also a doctor. Uh, who specializes in GI disease or liver disease, some kind of gastrointestinal type doc. Uh, And he did an interview with Politico. And Politico is with the Harvard Chan School of Public Health series, and it's called Public Health on the Brink. And this interview was done on May 19th, and it's on YouTube. You can access it. Anybody can access it. So Senator Bill Cassidy has been known to say that he is, quote, unquote, unapologetically pro-life. But also in this interview, he said when asked about what needs to be done about Louisiana's high maternal mortality rate, which Louisiana and Georgia kind of jockey back and forth as who claims the top prize for maternal mortality um, in their state. This is what he said. About a third of our population is African-American. African-Americans have a higher incidence of maternal mortality. So if you correct our population for race, we're not as much of an outlier as it otherwise appear. Now, I say that not to minimize the issue, but to focus on the issue as to where it would be. For whatever reason, people of color have a higher incidence of maternal mortality. I know, I, I mean, we've chatted a little bit behind the scenes. What were your thoughts when you saw this, when you saw and heard about this interview? I was furious, but not surprised, mm-hmm. right? I think that's the best way I can put it because, um, you know, as I've said, and what really just kind of became painfully apparent to me this morning as I was preparing for this conversation, is Dr. Cassidy is a prime example of everything that's wrong with both our healthcare system and our political system all combined, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there is the even notion that somehow by removing African Americans from the equation, it would make everything better is the most asinine, ridiculous comment that somebody could make. It's insensitive. It's incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's borderline, with all due respect, Senator Cassidy, idiotic um, and extremely problematic and dangerous um, to just simply believe that we have this crisis on our hands in this country, but more particularly in his state, and that, well, look, everything would be hunky-dory if we just adjusted this for black women, that's just, that's just, that's just crazy. Right. Um, and considering it, that a third of their population is African-American to begin with. And, you know, uh, and we're going to get into what he means by correct for race, uh, yes. because uh, what he's probably using, um, I guess is his MD background and his ability to 
critically evaluate clinical research and that we do correct for certain things. And there was a common practice at one point for correcting for race, um, but that is no longer acceptable. And there's no, multiple reasons why that's no longer acceptable. And this goes along with how we are changing how to do research studies and what we have yeah. found out by doing those types of practices. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not surprised. I was infuriated too. I was not surprised. But what I think is this is what you're seeing here and what we're seeing here, he's not the only one. You know, behind the scenes, these conversations are being had across this country. Well, you know, it's, it's our maternity mortality rates are bad because of black women. So let's right. just erase that part. So we're going to talk about why we can't erase that. I mean, it, it's not appropriate and we'll get into that, but let's just talk, pause for a minute and let's talk about some of the more recent stats about uh, maternal mortality in this country. And this comes from the National Center for eHealth Stats. And this was released in February, 2022. Um, and basically just to hit on some of the stats, um, this report uh, presents maternal mortality rates for 2020. You know, we're, you're a couple of years behind always on, on reporting stats. And this is from the National Vital Statistics System. Now, one thing that uh, Senator Cassidy did mention after he made that quote is that there's different ways to define maternal mortality, and there are, but it doesn't matter because when you look when at you the stats to define maternal mortality how he prefers it to be defined, Louisiana still has a very huge problem on their hands. Absolutely. So, yeah, so you can define maternal mortality rate exactly how he wants it defined, which is this. And this is how maternal death is defined by the World Health Organization. Quote, the death of a woman while pregnant or within 42 days of termination of pregnancy, which means delivery, not termination of pregnancy like we might politically think of it, but delivery, irrespective of the duration and the site of the pregnancy from any cause related to or aggravated by the pregnancy or its management, but not from accidental or incidental causes. So, and then maternal mortality rate is defined as the number of maternal deaths per 100,000 live births. So that's where you will see that number like or the most recent one for Louisiana is 58 per 100,000 live births, which is highest uh, in, in the country. Right. But in 2020, we had 861 uh, patients who died of maternal causes in the U.S. That was compared to 754 in 2019. Now, as an aside, I know a lot of people have said, suggested that a lot of that was from COVID. But um, we don't know all that. But just as a, someone who's dealing with COVID uh, in pregnancy, a lot of it we didn't have a lot of maternal deaths until the second half of COVID. So although it may play a role, uh, it may not be as significant as some would like people to believe. Right. Um, <clears throat> the maternal mortality rate for 2020 was 23.8 deaths per 100,000 live births compared to the rate of 20.1. So it went from 23.8 to 20.1 in a year. Uh, in 2020, the maternal mortality rate for non-Hispanic black women was 55.3 deaths per 100,000 live births three times the rate for non-Hispanic white patients, which is 19.1, so 55.3 versus 19.1. Rates for non-Hispanic black women were significantly higher than rates for non-Hispanic white and Hispanic women. The increases from 2019 to 2020 for non-Hispanic black and Hispanic women, Hispanic women were significant. However, the observed increases for uh, white women was not significant. And But the kicker in all of this <laughs> is that it's been documented in uh, multiple ways that Two-thirds of maternal deaths in this country are preventable. Two-thirds. Exactly. Okay, so that's just some of the states. This is where it stats. And, and if you look at the 10 states, you know, the top three, Louisiana and Georgia kind of, like I said, jockey back and forth for who gets top prize. Indiana's holding steady at number three. And then it goes on from there. So let's, since we're talking about Louisiana, what can you tell us about Louisiana's maternal mortality rate? 
So Louisiana <laughs> has had historically, as you mentioned, horrible, horrible, horrible birthing outcomes, right? Um, and it was actually, I believe it is, I forget the, the, the one that they, uh, they renamed it, but it used to be, it was, um, historically charity hospital in new Orleans actually was one of the worst hospitals and it was the worst hospital mm-hmm. in the country. Um, as you mentioned, they jockey back and forth, um, between Georgia and Louisiana. I'm sorry. I can't see that we have a bunch of data, but I can't pull it up on my, on my phone. Yeah. The last you, one yeah. was 58.1 for Louisiana per 100,000 uh, births yes. versus Georgia was 48.4. Yes. Indiana, 43.6. This is some yes. of the latest data. So they're number one. And then, of course, they also have, across the board, have historically had really, really, really severe problems with health equity across disciplines of healthcare. And I think that the greater conversation is that this is also indicative of a larger conversation that's going on around our country of erasing racism to make it convenient and comfortable for people, right? This is the same, this is from the same folks that want to, you know, get rid of critical race theory and Mm -hmm. don't want to say gay and will do anything they can to erase marginalized populations from conversations where they are most needed, Mm -hmm. right? Um, In an effort to make themselves feel comfortable, to um, deny people the visibility, the funding, the priority that they deserve, they would Mm -hmm. rather erase them. And that's literally what's so dangerous about this, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The notion that you would take that approach, or it's, it's, it's mind boggling. And I'm doing my best to stay composed and be deliberate about this conversation. And I'm so appreciative to have this conversation with you and myself from an advocate who also is is always, um, you know, pulled into these conversations with my heart. But having this anchored in the data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because regardless of which perspective you come from, it's still a huge problem, mm-hmm. whether it's how we, whether we deal with the way it makes us feel or the factual data, we still come to the same place, that it is disrespectful, it's disheartening, and it's troublesome because the data, if you don't, if you really want to ignore the historical context and how our healthcare system has historically marginalized, preyed upon, victimized mm. Black people. And let's take the feeling out of it. Mm. And you want to look at the data. The data says it there for itself, that this is a problem. Mm. Um, and, you know, I have been really thinking and trying to be intentional about what makes sense and what we have to do. But the real situation is that we have to stand in solidarity, not only people from communities of color, but people across the board, because the reality of the situation is the black maternal health crisis is the American maternal health Mm -hmm. crisis. You cannot separate the two as Senator Cassidy is trying to do. Mm -hmm. They are one and the same. And when, Mm -hmm. as as I've said before, and I've said this when I've spent time with you before, when we fix this for black women, we'll fix it for all women. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but the other thing is that what it's doing, and especially in the words of used is it's making it seem like we're not responsible. Our healthcare system is not responsible. It's because they're black and they're responsible because they're dying because they're black. It's the same thing we're doing. So that, but that's not the problem. That's kind of erasing everything that you just said because it's convenient and it takes the shifts, the blame from the whole institution that is perpetuating this and not doing anything to fix it onto the patient themselves. 
And that, that cannot be done because like you said, even doing that is going to hurt every pregnant individual in this country, not just black women. It's going to hurt everyone. And the lack of awareness and the lack of priority to change uh, what's happening in our healthcare system, especially when it comes to maternal care, and instead saying, we're good, it's you, that is a huge issue. And I see it all the time. And I know you do. I know you do. And yeah, I go, th- these conversations have to be had. And but when you have politicians actually verbalizing it, it's it's troublesome. And so, like you and I have talked about privately, and I've said publicly, and I appreciate you for just being such an amazing ally with these conversations, is that the the maddening thing about this is it goes, it plays into what we find far too often is the suggestion, as you mentioned, that there's something innately or inherently wrong with black women that is causing them to die in childbirth and it's not the, the, the biological excuse and we'll talk there's about a that too. biological yeah. excuse right and i mean or whether genetic, or not yeah. you want to dive into this now it's the thing is that you know race is not a social construct i mean race is not a biological biological condition it's a social construct right, right. Mm-hmm. and we know that like there is no like Race is not a risk factor. Racism is mm-hmm. the risk factor. And so we can point to the data once again that some of you all who are tuned in um, may know is that when we talk about it, we break it down from this standpoint, there are studies that show that African-American women who have graduate and postgraduate degrees mm-hmm. are more likely to die in childbirth than Caucasian women. Five that times. Are five times more mm-hmm. likely to die in childbirth than Caucasian women that are living below the poverty line. Mm-hmm. So people like Senator Cassidy to have you believe that it's because these women are black and because mm-hmm. they are poor and because they are older, sicker, <clears throat> fatter, and there's hyper and there's all these things. That is not the case. And we're and, and, and because that is convenient. Yeah, that is convenient to say that there's something wrong with black people that is causing them to die. Mm-hmm. And, and not let me be clear is however, every single mother that we are losing, regardless of how that mother is lost is precious. Mm-hmm. And you know we have to hold them in 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 that way. However, to push this narrative forward that there's something wrong with black women innately that's causing them to die, that is a crock of you know what. And we have to be clear about the data that speaks to it mm-hmm. otherwise. And yeah, I mean, the stats that we have show that education level for a black woman does not is not protective. Um, so it's not that. And you know we we can't just pick and choose what stats we want to use to defend, to, to make our stance look better, uh, whether it be from a political standpoint or, or as a healthcare professional or whatever, that's yeah. not going to work um, right. when the evidence is there. And just to add a, a few other stats about Louisiana, uh, the rate of maternal mortality or maternal death in Louisiana is four times higher for black individuals than it is for white. And 59% of black maternal deaths are preventable in that state compared to 9% for white individuals. It's a huge, huge. difference. <laughs> huge difference. Huge. Now, where are we getting these stats? We're getting these stats from multiple reputable organizations and, and different, you know, the CDC, uh, the WHO, everybody kind of d- does things a little bit differently. And we've talked about this. One thing we've got to do in this country is get on the same page about how we yes. are defining maternal mortality, how we're collecting the data, how we're organizing the data, 
so there won't be so much differences between states and states can't use it as an excuse. Exactly. Standardization of data is Standardization, a yeah. very, very important mm-hmm. topic. And even how they even report it on a death certificate yep. varies between states. So and, that can I mention can I mention that and how that manifests itself from my personal experience, right? Please. So you know, you know, as as Doc was saying, the what's one of the challenges with data historically in our country is that it varies so, so vastly from state to state. The manner in which even in the states that had been collecting the data, the way that it differed that they collected in Georgia is very different than they may hypothetically speaking, you know, collected in Nebraska. And to give you an example of how that manifests itself, when Kira passed away in California in 2016, um, there was no place even on her death certificate to indicate that she was pregnant at the time of her passing, right? And so I was, um, one of the things that we're doing now is we're also collecting the data, and I'm proud of what the maternal mortality review committees have been doing from state to state. If you're not familiar with that, Um, In 2017, we passed a piece of legislation called the Preventing Maternal Deaths Act, and it allowed the CDC to fund what are called maternal mortality review committees in all 50 states. So what happens is when a mother passes away, pregnancy or pregnancy-related complications anywhere from an hour to a year after after birth or or pregnancy, that death – all the contributing, all the factors and data and contributing factors associated with that woman's pregnancy and death are recorded. Was this her first pregnancy? Was this her fifth? Did she have a vaginal delivery? Did she have a cesarean? Did she have hypertension? Was she overweight? What was her ethnicity? Also important when we talk about this data, what is being included now is, um, and I was just in New York last week talking to some people at the University of Columbia about how to do this in an accurate manner, manner is whether or not racial bias was a contributing factor in that in that family's experience um and then also we have to look at it like this because even with the data the makeup of these maternal maternal mortality review committees vary vastly from state to state Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so we're also trying to figure out we're still trying our best to get this right and to get the data, um, but the point is that we're working on it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know that you were going someplace. I'm going to cut you off, but I just okay, want to no, contextualize no. some of the things around data that are going on. But we do have a long way to go um, to make sure that we are getting data that is representative and truly painting an accurate, mm-hmm. honest picture of what's going on in the country. Well, one of the things, and I watched the video, and I was telling people while I was waiting for you to join, is that he said, uh, Senator Cassidy said in the interview that <clears throat> defining a maternal death up to a year postpartum is not appropriate because you could include that she was shot by her boyfriend and which is not and which may be true but however you need to capture more data right so that it goes to these mmrc's maternal mortality review committees but they're tasked with figuring which ones are pregnancy related so it doesn't mean all of those deaths are going to be but what we we do have to consider Chronic hypertension and a death six months later, not just 42 days later, could be related to that preeclampsia they had. Absolutely. The cardiomyopathy. So you can't just cut it off at 42 days. You need to continue it for a year. But that doesn't mean that if something accidental happened, that's going to be considered in a maternal mortality rate. That's the role of the MMRCs. And isn't that a convenient interjection versus mm-hmm. talking about all the things mm-hmm. that MMRCs are doing to get it right? to talk mm-hmm. about how they're flawed in the most ridiculous, outrageous yeah. example of this. Um, you know, and this is another thing, like, I, I know this is corny, I know people get frustrated, um, 
but civic engagement is important, y'all. And we've got to vote. We've got to vote. We've got to show up. And we've got to, the reality of the situation is if we, you know, when I go to Capitol Hill um, and I talk to senators and congressmen, I'm unapologetic about the fact that people who care about mothers and babies are the largest constituency that there is. And if you're not willing to make this a priority and show up to protect us, then we're going to find somebody else that is. Mm-hmm. Right? And so the reality mm-hmm. of the situation is that man, whether you like it or not, he works for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we will have an opportunity sooner or later um, to, you know, to s- express how we feel. And let me say this, because I am a- as frustrated and as angry as these things make me, I am optimistic. I'm optimistic that Senator Cassidy will utilize this as an opportunity to learn, right? To engage with people who do this work. And like I said, mm-hmm. and I was intentional in the video I made, it does not have to be me. And honestly, I would prefer if it was not me. It's, it's mm-hmm. often as the work that I do in Cure Story is at the center of these conversations nationally, nationally it's important that it's not centered around right? Mm-hmm. There are amazing black women who have been yeah. doing this work for decades. Yeah. And it's important that he hear from them. He hear from these brilliant women mm-hmm. who have dedicated their lives to eradicating racism in healthcare and mm-hmm. helping people understand the dangers of these comments and the dangers of these views and how asinine they are. So my challenge to Senator Cassidy is to sit down and have an opportunity and to <clears throat> learn from people, you know, why this is problematic. That's my hope. Well, can I also add this? Just because he has an MD behind his name does not mean he's qualified to make any decisions regarding maternal mortality crisis. Yep. He do- it doesn't. So what you see is MDs in, in, in the Senate, as an example, well, they're an MD, they're in healthcare, so they know and they can comment on this. They can't because I work with MDs all the time who don't want anything to do with maternal, you know, a pregnant patient because they're not comfortable. So you can't tell me that he knows how to interpret the data and fix it. What we need are the individuals that Charles just mentioned, guiding these people to sh- tell them what needs to be done. An MD doesn't give you any uh, special advantage in this particular situation. It, it sure does, does not. not. It, it does not. Mm-hmm. As much as you want to trade on it, and mm-hmm. I understand that you invested a lot of time and a mm-hmm. lot of money on it, but it does not make you correct and it does not make you infallible. It's um, because you can still be one that is grounded in information and perspective and schools of thought that are wrong and mm-hmm. harmful. Um, and that's well, not only see. that, he's not trained in obstetrics. obstetrics. And bottom line is he ain't trained. Like Doc said, he ain't trained in obstetrics. He's not. He's not. He's not. And, and going to medical school, we get uh, how many weeks, 12 weeks of OB, and then we go yep. to a respective field. I'm not discounting anybody's training. I mean, you, you can learn about stuff, but unless you're doing it day, day in and day out and taking care of the individuals that you're commenting on, you're not going to have the perspective that is needed to make those type of changes. We had to reach out into the community who are and the members that are actually doing the work to get their help to guide us. Well, not us, I'm not in politics, but to guide the politicians to make those important changes and do the right thing. And it also is important that you do you for each individual state, because each individual state is different. They have their individual characteristics, problems, and you can't apply one thing to something nationwide. Collecting maternal mortality data, yes, you can make that standardized, whatever, but you can't necessarily standardize 
every uh, program that's impl implemented uh, across the board for every state, it, every so state's true. a little bit unique. So we, how are we going to get the information from the people that are caring for those patients in that state, right? Or the people that are doing the advocacy work. Exactly. Right? That's where we need to get that information. So I am totally on the same page with you on that. We, and you touched on this a little bit, a little bit earlier, but this was what really kind of got in my, stuck in my crawl a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, he said he's not minimizing the issue. The focus is the, uh, the, the issue. Uh, the focus, he needs to focus the issue as to where it would be. And quote, unquote, for whatever reason, people of color have a higher incidence of maternal mortality. So like we talked about earlier, that makes it seem like African-American patients, pregnant individuals, have something biologically, genetically different about them than everybody else that places them at higher risk or that somehow they are responsible, whether it be what they ate, what they, I don't know, whatever, that places them at higher, at higher risk. Is that true? We kind of already dispelled that. It's not true. It's nope. not a biological reason. Let's um, say it so, what it's is this true. for? Yeah, he, he says for whatever reason, if he is, and this is what gets me, if he is actually someone in that state that is working on a maternal mortality crisis, crisis, he should know what that reason is or those reasons, right? The thing is, but the question is, it's one of two <laughs> things, Doc. It is that, and I don't know which one is worse. It's that mm -hmm. you know and you're trying to deny what it is or you don't know, mm -hmm. right? Which one is worse? Is it that you are completely ignorant and oblivious to the fact that you really truly don't understand that race is a social construct and not a bio biological condition? Or is it that you know and it just makes you uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? As a, as, as a middle-aged white guy to talk and about. Then, and then what your stats are, Trump, improving your stats is better than addressing the issue. Improving because, your right? stats, jugging your jugging your stats. Mm -hmm. um, that's not the most politically correct word, but jugging your stats is easier than addressing the issue head on, right? Mm -hmm. Addressing the truth head on. Um, and this whole this whole data remix thing, we're not mm -hmm. gonna have it. We have to call people out everywhere, whether it's in the Senate, whether it's in the private sector whether it's advocacy, whether it, whether it is, if they are taking stats and manipulating them or dismissing them or bearing them um, for their expediency, for their comfortability, um, for whatever reason, no, we're not going to stand for it. For their political agenda? For their political agenda, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, and I've seen so many things and I've seen so many ways that people have tried to um, politicize this issue. I've seen, I've literally seen, for instance, I'll give you an issue. I'll give you an example. And it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to be in a situation where you have um, people try to politicize not only the death of my wife, but other people. And but that's the that's the name of the game. And I've seen literally if we take an example and this is the most polar literally the most polarizing topic in our country today. But when we talk about the issue of pro pro life and pro pro choice, I've seen people from both sides of that conversation try and blame the maternal mortality situation on this crisis. 
in really weird ways and then manipulate it for their particular agenda, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, um, well, it's, it's, and, and, and it's, it's, it's sad. And by doing that, they don't want to address the topic head on, but what they would rather do is utilize it for their political agenda. And I'm not saying that there aren't correlations and there aren't conversations that need to be had, but to not prioritize what is its own crisis for what it is, is unacceptable and it's disrespectful to the families that have been impacted by it. No, it is. And it's, <clears throat> we're going to keep losing our patients and our pregnant individuals at, mm -hmm. at staggering rates unless something is, is, I think who's in leadership needs to change. It's because they're not going to change their mentality. It's not going to happen. Like you said earlier, people have to vote them out to get them out and replace them with people who are, if they're not MDs or they're not OBGYNs, they will go to the people that can guide them in the right way. And they're open to that. And they're willing to that, willing to, to do that. Um, they can't be in a vacuum or a bubble based on what their limited medical knowledge is uh, or what someone spoon fed them and assume that that is accurate. Uh, we yeah. have to get through the hard stuff. And the stuff that makes us uncomfortable, what is it? There's, there's some kind of saying that change, you know, you have to be uncomfortable to really affect change. I mean, you, yeah. it's uncomfortable. You know, you nobody do. wants to talk you, about this. You, you do. You, you, have to be, you have to be uncomfortable to affect change. I think Malcolm X has a quote that's even, mm -hmm. you know, more direct and a little bit even more profound. He said, you can't, you can't change a man until you shame a man. Mm -hmm. Right? And, you know, sometimes, you know, that's, that's it. Um, is these things we have to really take a hard look and ourselves as a country and all the things um, historically and in the present that are wrong and how they're having catastrophic consequences, um, not only in the medical field, but throughout society. And, you know, looking at the historical piece, the present piece and making sure that that's not what we're driving into the future. Because the reality of the situation is always all we, we get, we get frustrated. I know that you see this stuff day in and day out in practice and you see the way it manifests itself and you see things that are outside of your scope and you do your best to pull things in and make sure that people are getting accurate information mm -hmm. and it's dire and it's frustrating. But here's the thing at the end of the day, y'all, the thing that I want people to understand is we can fix this. Is we can fix this. That's the reality of the situation. We understand what needs to be done. It's just about making sure that we have accountability for the people that are going to make the decisions and whether or not we're going to prioritize it. Right. It's just that simple. Right. Yeah. And their accountability is a huge thing. People have to be accountable. Until they're held, held accountable, nothing is ever going to change. I don't care who that is. If it's the physician, if it's the institution, if, you know, it's, if it's the politician or the politics that's involved, people have to be yep. held accountable. Have to be held accountable. So one thing I wanted to <clears throat> address now, this is more the scientific, scientific aspect of what he said, okay. or medical aspect or research aspect, whatever you want to call sure. it. But it, this helps explain what he's talking about for those who may not understand. He says about a third of our population is African-American. African-Americans have a higher incidence of maternal mortality. So if you correct our population for race, we're not as much of an outlier as it otherwise appear. So basically what he's saying is that when it comes to an increased rate, rate of maternal mortality in his state, race is what he is considering a confounder. He didn't say that specifically, but that's kind of what he's implying. Um, so let's talk about what a confounder is when you're looking at uh, certain risk factors or things that happen in a pregnant individual and that could result or, or rather pregnancy, postpartum, intrapartum care, and that leads to maternal mortality. So I'll give you an example. 
uh, if you're looking at does lack of exercise lead to weight gain? Lack, or, lack of exercise is your independent variable. This isn't a very basic research type study. Uh, is your independent variable and weight gain is your dependent variable. So confounding variables would be any other variable that also has an uh, effect on your dependent variable or weight gain. And a confounding variable example would be age. So age could be a confounding variable. So increasing age could also affect being 48. I might don't lose weight like I used to. It could be a confounding variable on my uh, increased weight gain, even if I'm exercising. So you have to consider those confounding variables that could still have an impact on the outcome that you're looking at. So what you can do, and this is done in research studies alive, is correct for those certain types of confounding variables to see if there's still a correlation between lack of exercise and weight gain. So these are that variables are, are kind of like um, extraneous uh, extra variables that could kind of ruin the results of your study if you don't account for them. So a lot of times you would see, you, you might read a research study that'll say we corrected for X, Y, and Z, and this is what the results show. They were different from when the first set or they were the same, even after correction for our A, B, and C. <clears throat> so what he's essentially saying, the Senator, is that if you correct for, uh, for race and remove being black or African-American or a minority, from the equation, the equation being the increased maternal mortality rate that his state has seen, their mortality rate would not be so bad. In other words, the maternal mortality rate would, uh, should only include that of white folks or non-minorities. Uh, so we just leave pregnant persons of color out of the equation. That's what it's saying, right? Because we're correcting for that. Race right. or being a minority is a confounding variable. So we just kind of take it out. And Take it out. What does that leave? What do we leave? That just leaves white folk. So we'll so hear about that. <laughs> so here's the interesting thing yeah. that's not being said about that, mm -hmm. right? Is one let's let's take the let's take the how offensive, how ridiculous that is out of the conversation, okay. and let's talk about the practical piece of this. Is what he's saying is if you do that, and you compare it to other states, with that understanding then it'll look hunky-dory will be comparable be on par or won't be as bad well if you're going to do that then every other state gets to do it too so what are the mm -hmm. stats going to look like if <laughs> they can be... take black people out yeah. think about like it's so idiotic mm -hmm. like i'm past being pc with this dude mm -hmm. like so if we take if we take if we take you know what i'm saying like that's like saying I have a body mass index, but mm -hmm. if I remove my bones from my body mass <laughs> index, I'll no longer be obese. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not a body mass index anymore, mm -hmm. right? It's literally some obscure calculation that makes no sense. <clears throat> it's the same with this. If the, and then and for it to be on par with everybody else, then everybody else would have to take their stuff out. Is that mm -hmm. what he wants to do? Like make it make sense, Doc. Make it make I sense. I, I wish. No, I can't. I, I, I can't. And when I say Doc, I, I'm not talking about you. I'm no. talking about Dr. Cassidy, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, I would, yeah, I would, yeah. I would, I would not put that on you. Like make it yeah. make sense because he is a bozo. Like, and I hope well, he I can, understand. Honestly, I hope I get a chance to. I hope I get a chance to sit down with him. Mm -hmm. I hope that he. It needs to be a priority for him to sit down with Monica, with these dynamic, amazing black women first. But I hope me and him have a chance to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. I really do, man. Because but what, what's he's, what he's doing is because he's got the coveted MD behind his name. He thinks he is qualified to speak on how we are interpreting data for research, and he has no clue what he's talking about. It, that's as someone who's on that side. 
we, I know what he's trying to do. And it, again, it doesn't make sense and it's not what we do. And what you could Google and do a Google scholar search or scholarly article on correcting uh, for race. And, you know, is it reasonable to correct for race? Um, and it used to be done. And I'll give you one example in obstetrics, the VBAC calculator. Mm. We, had to, we took race recently out of the VBAC calculator because it was putting black women or black pregnant individuals at a disadvantage for VBAC success or achieving a VBAC walking into the door just based on their outward appearance. Hmm. So that had to be removed. And right. for years we used it. If you were Hispanic or black and you wanted to do a trial of labor after cesarean in order to have a vaginal birth after cesarean, you got percentages taken off just based on the color of your skin. But, but there was no biologic reason for that. Wow. That was an example of using race as a confounder. So when you think about correcting race, uh, for maternal mortality, it's saying that there's, like we said, there's a biologic or genetic difference of black and white bodies that make them different and more at risk for maternal mortality. And we, we talk about maternal mortality, but we haven't even ever, and you and I will probably do this at some point, is talk about the severe maternal morbidity Hello. that minorities experience. Exactly. Or I think it's for every one death, there's 100 cases of severe maternal morbidity, meaning something happens to them that significantly impacts their health for a long term. Okay? or affects them in some way. That is appalling. Well, I know we focus on more maternal mortality, but we can't have this conversation without the severe maternal morbidity that it, that it goes Very along true. with it as well. And Very one true. day we'll, we'll touch on that. So we, what we found out, and thanks to the work of a lot of very, very smart individuals, Dr. Uh, Perry is one of them, uh, we know that race is a surrogate for racism and health disparities. It's not a biological condition, okay? And so there's no biological reason to correct for race in any of these studies or any of these data collection sets or whatever we're doing to get maternal mortality statistics. And the reality is that the racial differences are, are, are likely to affect the, uh, reflect the effects of racism. Yeah. Um, and it's becoming more and more, although it's a long time coming, ACOG, SMFM are all, when they report certain things about maternal conditions and management, they're starting to talk more about this. And I'll give you baby aspirin for the prevention of preeclampsia as one of them, because we know about you know, social determinants of health and uh, racism in medicine, that being an African-American patient who is pregnant, you are still a candidate just based on that alone because you may not be getting the care that you need and which further places you at risk for preeclampsia. Yeah. So that's how much we know about how racism and bias affect care when it comes to pregnant individuals. We know this. We know this. So... We know that we can't correct for race, Senator Cassidy. That's just, as Charles said, I'm going to say it, it's idiotic. And it's yeah. actually embarrassing. It's embarrassing not only as having someone uh, in politics representing uh, uh, a state and the pregnant individuals within that state, but as a medical professional, it's embarrassing to hear someone say that without any knowledge of why we no longer correct for race. He forgot to read those articles. Maybe I could send them to him. <clears throat> Yeah, so one thing, last thing I want to talk on real quick is the using the race as a risk factor. You mentioned that too. Race is not the risk factor racism is. You mentioned that earlier. So we need to stop doing that. Uh, what are some of the, the things that you're seeing? Because you're becoming more of an advocate, more politically involved and really making change. Yeah. What are the, some of the things that you're seeing um, that's going to hopefully try to turn that tide instead of saying, you know, minority patients, uh, whether they're Asian or Hispanic or African-American, that's their risk factor rather than 
the racism against those individuals being the risk factor? Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of things. I think that we've got to really reimagine, retrain, and reinvent the perinatal workforce, right? Yeah. And that comes from the top down and the bottom up. And maybe that's not the best the best way to articulate it, but that, what that means that means <clears throat> um, the manner in which we train doctors through medical school, the way we you know support them through residency. Um, and the way we prioritize compassionate, culturally competent care um, has got to change. It has to change in the way we continually educate physicians and care providers. But that has to come not only from the, edu from the educators, but that has to come from administrators. That has to come from these large healthcare corporations. That has to come from um, from employers in the manner in which they're shaping benefits. Right. So that's one of the things mm -hmm. that I've done a lot recently too is you know the reality of the situation is that as hard as we're working on this legislation and 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 policy reform as i've said when i went to capitol and i say it all the time it's like i can't legislate compassion right um what i can do while we're trying to appeal to people's hearts and their best selves and you know hopeful hope that they will just show up and prioritize people and view them with equity, what we can do is we can influence the way dollars are spent, right? We can show up and demand that there is a standard of dignified care and that providers comply. And if there isn't compliance, there's accountability. Um, and that's, that's something I think is a conversation that has to be had, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud that there are things that are beginning to move forward with mandatory implicit bias trainings in healthcare settings and particularly in birthing settings in a lot of states. That's going to be big. It's important. It's not the fix for everything, but it's an important piece, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the thing about bias is we can, we can quantify it. We can hone in on it and we're all human. Mm -hmm. um, and so like I've said before is that if you are an individual and you're a quote unquote civilian for lack of a better term, and you have your biases and your isms, um, you can work them out in your own time. But if you are mm -hmm. a care provider who people are trusting you mm -hmm. with their lives and the, of, you know, and their health, and you have these isms and these biases, you're on the got it. You're listen, you've <laughs> got to take steps to mm -hmm. either address them, or mm -hmm. you've got to find something else to do because mm -hmm. the, what's happening is what the reality is, is that if you're not, they're having these isms, your isms, when you show up with them are having catastrophic and oftentimes fatal consequences. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then, and it's, you know, as a healthcare provider, you know, uh, if you're in academic setting and you are having influence on medical students, then they all go into different fields. You need to encourage them to learn about the health disparities, uh, in their respective fields that they're going into so that they can recognize those and they know, the health inequities that yes. occur um, because they're not taught enough. They're not taught enough about that um, in their curriculum. They're not. So it's up to us as their faculty supervisors to make sure we bring that up to them so they can do that extra reading and they can learn on their own, or we could teach it to them yeah. um, because it starts with them. That's how they're going to make change. Um, but that's a missed opportunity, um, but it can be done. And I don't want to be uh, negative. I want to be positive. So I want to end by saying thank you. Charles, for what you're doing. 
Um, I know it's not easy. And I know that you had to have a significant loss to do what you're doing. Yeah. And I know you wouldn't want, you would change that if you could, but just know that what you are doing is going to save so many lives. So I'm so proud of you. I really Thank am. And you. I think you were taking your time to do this. We you disagreed to this on Saturday out of a random DM. I was like, Hey, do you let's do it. Up? And you're like, let's do it. Let's so, do it. Thank Run you. It. Thank um, you. You know, I, and, I, and I'm grateful. Thank you so much for saying that. And I, I really just want to just thank you for just, you know, being such a tremendous ally and using your voice and just continuing to stay, you know, relentless and consistent. Because some people jump in and they jump out, but you just, re, you know, continue to just be so, um, you know, just so assertive of, you know, speaking truth to power. And we need that. We need more of that. And my hope is that, and I know my hope, but I know that the example that you're setting, um, is is becoming contagious and there are you know young doctors people who might not be you know, might even be in the field that are you know seeing what you're doing and how you're leveraging you know your practice to you know share information and share truth and so i'm grateful i'm grateful for the opportunity i'm grateful for the conversation and um you know i'm looking forward to continuing doing great things together so sending you Absolutely. and your family and everybody Absolutely. in your world lots of love I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Now listen to the next episode on screening for fetal chromosomal abnormalities, as well as ultrasound soft markers.